this morning we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. So please turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Be there in, in a quick second. And, um, oh, thanks. And so, um, you know, we've been, we've been working through this letter to the Ephesians. The reason why we call it the jailhouse pastor is because the Apostle Paul wrote it to the Ephesian church, to the church at Ephesus, and uh, he, he wrote it from jail. So he's pastoring the church, sort of, from jail. That's thus the name, jailhouse pastor. And plus, kind of thought I had a cool ring, so that's why. But um, jailhouse pastor, he's writing, and, what, and remember we said a couple of weeks ago, the reason why the Apostle Paul was in jail, what, what put him in jail this time, and then ultimately led to his execution was his desire to see Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians come together in the church. And the Paul, Paul called himself the apostle. Actually, he was called the apostle to the Gentiles. So remember, Paul is a thoroughly Jewish man, and he you know, obviously had trusted Jesus as his Messiah and been radically transformed by Jesus Christ, but then he took that as a mission to the Gentiles who, um, who at that point were out to lunch. And one of the things that we have a hard time, that we have to remember in our modern church setting, see, we think, we think oh, we, it's always been like this, but it really wasn't that, that the first Christians were from a Jewish background. And in fact, the first Christians never even really imagined that, that Gentiles like us would follow Jesus. They, that was not part of their plan. They, their assumption was that, and it was a false assumption, but they assumed that Jesus was a Jewish Messiah. And that was all the farther it was supposed to go. But then uh, Gentiles like us began to, began to respond to the good news of Jesus in it left them in quite a quandary. Now, what do we do? Uh, these guys are eating bacon, and they're you know, doing all these things that we don't do as Jews, and how do we put these together? And it, and it created a real conflict, and Paul really gave his life for, um, for this. Like, he gave his life to see that, that Gentile Christians like us would come together with Jewish Christians and be a part of the church of Jesus Christ. And... We owe him a great debt, really. We uh, Someday when I get to heaven, I want to shake Paul's hand and thank him because his ministry opened the door for you and I to be where we are today. And so that's what he's writing from. And we come into Ephesians chapter 4, and you, you get into, you hear his passion. You hear, you just, you can feel his heartbeat in uh, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. He says this, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy. I beg you, I plead with you, live a life worthy of the calling you've received in Jesus Christ. You know, the difference between religion and a relationship with Jesus is in, in religion you have to earn your place. In a relationship with Jesus, you simply learn your place. And Paul, see, in, in religion, you say, religion says, 
here, you have to do X, Y, and Z in order to be worthy. Jesus goes, hey, I died to make you worthy. Now live up to the calling that I've given to you. You hear the difference? Huge difference. And Paul is sitting in jail in a sense. Can you imagine him looking through the bars? I, I picture him looking through the bars, looking at the world, you know, just going on past them. Everybody doing their, they're living their lives, you know. And can you hear Paul just looking at you and me, living our lives and having our families and doing our jobs? And, and Paul's going, oh, there's so much life to live. Live your life worthy of the calling that you've received, right? He's begging you to do that. And then he goes into verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Keep the unity of the Spirit. We don't make unity, we keep unity, friends. Big difference. Jesus Christ, if you follow Jesus Christ and I follow Jesus Christ, we're already one. Jesus paid for that. He made us family. We share blood. So we're already one. That fact is settled. It's not about making unity. It's about keeping it. There's a lot of things at play, at work, against our experience of unity, right? You would agree. It's constantly under attack. But that doesn't mean that the unity is not already there. It's there. It needs to be maintained. It's delicate. It needs to be fought for. So he says, keep it. In fact, what does he say? Make every effort to keep it. Not some effort. Don't we tend to give up pretty quickly? Oh, I, I sent a letter. I tried to reconcile. Okay, oh well. Yes, it didn't work. Move on. Cut our losses and run. That's not making every effort to keep the unity that we have in the Spirit. Hear that? Hear his urging? Make every effort. Not some. Well, what does that what do I do? Look at verse 2. He gives you four things. He says you've got to be humble. Be humble. Be patient. Be humble. Be gentle. Be patient. Bear with each other. Those four things. So be humble. In other words, Captain, you plan it. It ain't about you. Right? It's, it's not about what you're getting out of it. You're not the center of the universe. Be humble. Admit that you know, maybe you don't have your act all together. Admit that maybe you don't understand the Bible completely perfectly and your theological viewpoint isn't, you know, rock solid exactly right on, right? I mean, I got to admit that, that I got room to grow. Be humble, he says. And then he goes, be gentle. Hey, well, we need that. If there are differences, don't we need to be gentle with one another in our differences? Gentle. It's not, it's not about labeling. We talked about that a few weeks ago, right? As long as the labels abound, division continues. That's not very gentle. Labels aren't gentle. Um, I mean, gentle. It, it means I, I come, we come at one another from this place of, of grace. Sensitivity. It's not about being politically correct. That's that's the world's version of gentle. 
That's not God's version of gentleness. Gentleness is able to say, look, we have a difference here. Gentleness is able to say, even, well, look, there's a sin here that needs to get addressed. You can do that gently. It's not about ignoring, you know, the wrongs and so forth, but you hear it, right? You hear it. I don't need to beat that one. Patience. See, patience. Patience has to do directly with sin against one another. Let's face it. We are all sinners. Okay? So what are the odds of us sinning against one another? Pretty high. Don't you figure? So let's recognize that we're going to sin against one another. When that happens, what do you got to do? You got to be patient because we're all a work in progress. God's not done with, I'm half-baked. God's not done baking me yet, right? We're, we're getting there. Be patient. We're growing. But not every offense is a sin. That's why we have to bear with each other. Bearing with each other has to do with our personality quirks. And, you know, not every personality meshes perfectly with other personalities, right? Some personalities have a way of clashing. But, you know, that's not sin understand the difference between the two. So not every offense is a sin. Sometimes I can offend you just because, well, that's me. And when that happens, you have to bear with me. You got to go, oh, that's it. <laughs> See? And, and I have to do the same thing with you. Oh, okay. That's just great. And, and that's part of what Scripture means when it says love covers over a multitude of sins. I go, we're growing, we're working on this. That's the way he is, that's the way she is. Now, if it's a sin, we deal with it differently. Obviously, we don't just cover over sin, pretend it doesn't exist. We have to deal with that. But we deal with that gently, honestly, with forgiveness, don't we? Do you see how these things go together? He goes, this is your job, church. You keep the unity that Jesus died to give us by, you, by humility, gentleness, bearing with one another. And then he goes here, verses 4 through five, 6. Look at all of the ones. There is one body, that's the church. There's one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's over all and through all. And in all, there's just one, 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 one. So if there's one God and there's one church, then that means that we're one, right? <clears throat> and so, so though our experience of oneness might ebb and flow, uh, it doesn't change the fact that we're one. Now let me say this. So then based on what that paragraph just taught us, unity is a character issue. Bad character will not produce unity. Humility. That's character, right? Gentleness, character. Patience, bearing with, those are character issues. In fact, the Bible describes hell as being a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hell, that's, be, that's partly because hell is a place where it's every man for himself. Pride rules in hell. And where pride rules, chaos ensues. 
It's anarchy. It's every man for himself. That's not the church. Here, humility rules. Here, Jesus rules, and we're humble under his rulership. That's probably better said that way. And so here, we have the opportunity to experience unity like nobody else can. Unity is a character. I mean, how many times? I've done marriage counseling, marriage counseling, going over cultural things with different cultures. It always comes back to character issues. Always. Well, no, not me. I haven't done anything right or wrong. Well, well, yeah, character. So anyway, let me just conclude. You change the character. You make the character right. The more like Christ the character becomes, the more unified you can be. That's our job. Now Jesus has a job in keeping the unity. Look at verse 7. But to each one of us, Grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That's why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. That just makes me dizzy. He's up, he's down, he's up, he's down. (laughs) So verse verse, uh, verse 8 You'll notice if you want to go back to Psalm 68, verse 18, the Apostle Paul is quoting something there, only he's misquoting it. You go to Psalm 68, 18, and you compare the two, you discover, wait a second, Paul's not quoting this exact. In Psalm 68, 18, it says that he's, he's come, he's conquered, and the army, the victorious army, comes and brings the general gifts. And that's a practice that they utilized in the ancient times. You just you win victory in battle. The conquering general takes a seat of prominence and all the members of the army, you know, that won, they come and they bring portions of their spoils from battle and they give them as gifts to the conquering general, right? Only here, look at what it says. Jesus is the conquering general. He came, he kicked the devil's butt, He won victory. And then he gave gifts. The conquering general gave gifts to us. Wow, that's cool. (laughs) What gifts did Jesus give to us? There were five in the text. Look at verse 11. So Christ himself gave gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Wow. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. A couple of things that you need to notice about these five gifts First is they come from Jesus. They are distinguished from other spiritual gifts. We have Holy Spirit gifts. First Corinthians talks about them. Romans also talks about them. So we, we, we call them spiritual gifts. Spiritual gift of hospitality, for example, or the spiritual gift of leadership, 
spiritual gift of, uh, of tongues, the spiritual gift of prophecy. Um, I mean, there's, there's a whole list of them, right? These are not spiritual gifts, per se. They're Christ gifts. Jesus won them. They're spoils, if you will, from his battle with Satan that he won, and he's giving them. The second thing is that they are people, not just the gift is the person. The person is the gift. You notice he gave the apostles, he gave the prophets, he gave the evangelists. They're individuals. So we need to catch there's a key difference between between someone who has the gift of prophecy and someone who holds the office of prophet and someone who has the gift of pastoring, but which is a spiritual gift, but also then someone who holds the office of pastor, the title of pastor. The same with evangelist, the same with teacher, the same with apostle. But you see the purpose? See what happens when all five of these gifts are clicking on all cylinders? Look at what happens. You see that? The, the church becomes mature. She becomes unified. She becomes whole. She becomes a great picture of Jesus, the fullness of Jesus. So what are they? What are these five things, these five gifts? Well, let's explain them this way. Here's apostle. The apostles are the initiators. They initiate ministry. They start ministry. They, some people define them as missionaries, but isn't that what really a missionary does? A missionary goes and initiates ministry in a cross-cultural setting. You know, they, they bring the kingdom of God to a a new place, so to speak. So an apostle is someone who initiates ministry. They see the they they see kind of, if you will, the holes that need to be filled, you know, in the kingdom. And they're like, we've got to start something to, to meet that need. We've got to do this. We have to do we have to go there and take care. Here's orphans here that has to get fed. Here's a, a school here that needs to get launched because these people need to get trained. That's that's an apostle. The prophets are the encouragers. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3, describes what a New Testament prophet does. Anyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. 1 Corinthians 14, 3. Who doesn't need more strengthening, encouragement, and comfort? Hello? Can I, can I get an amen? Do we need more prophets? Yes. I mean... It, the, the prophetic ministry is extremely valuable to the body of Christ. So the apostle is the initiator. The prophet is the encourager. The evangelist is the motivator because our natural human tendency is to circle the wagons, right? Isn't this beautiful? Let's sing kumbaya and hold hands. This is lovely. The evangelist goes, come on, church. Lights the match under the church's tail. Says, get out there. There's lost people that need Jesus. That's the evangelist. The evangelist is motivating the body to get out, to hit the streets, to go do it, to take the gospel to the ends of the world. The pastor is the local church leader. He leads a local congregation of Christians. We need to understand there's a difference between congregation and church. 
New River Church is a congregation, right? And we're part of the church. Manchester Church of the Nazarene, they're a congregation, part of the church. River of Life Church in Holland, our friends there, they're a congregation, part of the church. And there's a difference between the two. Pastor leads a congregation of believers. You see that in the New Testament. Timothy was the pastor at Ephesus. So Timothy was probably the first one to read this letter to the Ephesians. So chances are very good. Timothy read the letter to his church is probably how it worked out. Titus was the pastor on the island of Crete. We know that from the Bible. James was the pastor at the church in Jerusalem. We know that from the Bible. So we, you know, so we get a good examples here. A pastor, their job, if you will, is to lead a local congregation of believers. Here in our setting, we have life group leaders. They're very much pastors. They they lead a group of people. See, and then you have teachers who instruct. They're the instructors. We we know what teachers do. They they teach. So that's easy for us in the English to know what a teacher does. But they teach. They take God's word. They go, here's what this means. Here's how we apply this. They break it down. Now, can you see how these five work so well together? The apostles are initiating, they're initiating ministry. The prophets are encouraging ministry. The evangelists are motivating it so they hit the streets. The pastors are directing and leading the local congregation in accomplishing the ministry. The teachers are training and equipping and putting together lesson plans and, you know, getting the body taught and informed. You put them all together, and do you see what happens? Look at, look at Ephesians chapter 4. When you don't have to make it up. When these five are working well together, well, the people are equipped for works of service. The body of Christ gets built up. We all reach unity in the faith. We become mature, attain the whole measure of the full. I mean, that's good stuff. I would, in fact, I would go so far as to argue that part of the reason why the church at times appears weak is because we neglect the fivefold ministry. It's really my conviction that the church needs to be, we need to acknowledge these five gifts in order to be all that Jesus has died for us to be. And it's my conviction that these five gifts need to be acknowledged in New River Church in order for New River Church to be all that Jesus desires for it to be. And and let's, you know, let's just be real. I mean, we're awkward with that. Like, you don't mind calling me Pastor Doug, but Apostle Doug Sounds a little funny, maybe, in some of your ears, right? Or prophet Doug. Sounds a little funny, right? Well, why is that, friends? I don't understand why that would be. Why Why is that? I don't. Perhaps it's because there have been abuses, but there have been abuses with teachers. There have been abusive pastors, and yet you still don't mind saying pastor so-and-so, but I we probably all know examples of pastors that weren't the real deal. So why? why? I wonder. I wonder. I, I happen 
to believe it's part of the enemy's plan to keep the church weak, to keep the church down, is to somehow take one or two, three, a couple of these five gifts that Jesus himself, remember, where did Jesus get the gifts? They're spoils of war. Apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists are spoils of war. Jesus won the war, defeated the enemy, and he's given the gifts to his people. So do you think the enemy might be at work to take them back? What do you figure? And so let's, you know, let's cause the people to feel kind of weird about apostles. One of the one of the big misconceptions about apostles is people think that there were only twelve of them. We think of the twelve apostles. Well, okay. One of them was Judas. So really, there were eleven apostles, and then. But they weren't all just Jesus' 12 disciples. They weren't his inner circle because we call him the Apostle Paul. Do you know he wasn't one of Jesus' original 12? You know that, right? <laughs> okay. So there we go. There, that, that throws that theory out the door right away. And then on top of that, Romans chapter 16 says to greet Andronicus and Junia. Junia was a woman. Andronicus was a man. And Paul calls them excellent among the apostles, outstanding among the apostles. So here's a man and a woman who were considered part of the apostles. So apparently, apostles weren't just the 12 disciples of Jesus, but there's an office there at work. And I'll say that their job is to initiate the apostle Paul. He's the apostle. Why? Well, he initiated quite a bit of ministry, wouldn't you say? I mean, so he's, he filled that function. My point is simply this. I believe with all my heart that in order for us to be fully healthy, fully mature in Christ as a church, we need to acknowledge these five offices. And that, we, that by not acknowledging them, we harm ourselves. And that even though they have been acknowledged in the past by others and there have been abuses, that doesn't mean that they're wrong. We can't throw them out just because there are abuses. We have to instead say, be humble and say, Jesus, how do we do this right? See? The other thing is I'm convinced that they're already here, that we don't pray and say, oh, God, oh, Jesus, give us apostles, give us prophets. Gave them past tense, so it's not about us. Uh, it's not about us raising them up. It's not about creating more. It's about simply acknowledging what Jesus is doing. What is He doing? He's already given. So where are they, Jesus? See what I mean? Follow that. Where are they? And He goes, look at when these things are all working. When they're working together, look at verse fourteen. Then He says. We will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Oh, well, I don't want to get beat up anymore. How about you? I'm so done with getting beat up. <laughs> so, Lord, the gifts, God, the gifts. Verse 15, instead, speaking the truth in love will grow to become 
become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Do you see his heart? We've got to grow, friends. We've got to grow. We've got to mature. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Well, how does each part? That's each one of us. Each part does its work. That's you, my friend, and me. You go, well, I don't even know what my work is. How do I know what my part is? Exactly. That's why you need the five gifts. See how the apostle, prophet, pastor, evangelist, teacher enables the body to know their part so that each part knows where they fit, how they work, how they function, so that when each part does its work, we're clicking on all cylinders and the church is grooving. You, you see that? But when the five aren't present, when only one or two are present, now you have people willy-nilly, you have people not doing their part, people who don't know their part, and the body is made weaker as a result. Do you see that? I'm not making that up. That's right there. Okay. Now, I'm going to share my heart with you. This is not a new message. This has been on my mind for years. Years. Maybe the better part of ten years. Maybe longer. Over the last ten years, the servant team, we've talked about this as a servant team before. Off and on, off and on, talked about it, prayed about it. I know that the elders, you know, Bud and Harless and I have talked about it, prayed about it. I've prayed about it personally for many years, as I said. And you say, well, where are the five gifts then? Where, where are they? I don't know. And I, I'm believing that here's, here's, where, here's my stand today. by urging you, the congregation of New River, to pray with me. Maybe it's time that we together again. Now it's, it's got to get past the servant team, past Justin, me as a pastor. Now we as a church congregation, we have to say, we have to agree. Jesus, we give them these gifts. We acknowledge them. We ask, Lord, for them to be brought to the surface so that we can see them as a church body lay hands on them so that we can acknowledge what you're doing. So that we as a church can become mature, healthy, vibrant, strong in all the ways that you, that you died for us to be. So that's what this message is for today. To urge you, the body of New River Church, to, to join, to join with me in pursuing there's any mistake in our worship. I really believe that God's desire for a New River Church, friends, we're not supposed to just be a nice little church that helps people to be good people. But that Jesus Christ has, has died for you and his intention is for this body
young people to fan out across the world. Thank you for giving me the Jesus Christ and the lost cause of Jesus in Christ. Yes, even that some of our young people would go with me as well to be martyrs for the cause of Jesus. That we would have that kind of mentality operate with the purpose of Jesus, that we would that we would join his cause in making disciples and taking the good news of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth, not just our little follow me. And that that's his desire for us. It's not I mean when we moved here it was the word that we got was it's a small building, yes, but it's a launch pad. Launch pads don't need to be big, they just need Solid. This is a launch pad. We're a launch pad, friends. And so in order for that to happen, friends, we've got to acknowledge these five gifts in the body. And until we do, it's just going to be hit or miss. You know? Hit or miss. I, I don't think there's any surprise that, you know, as a church, like one of the things that we're really good at is caring. Well, of course, you have a pastor, and we have raised up pastors. If, if you want to initiate ministry, you have to have an apostle who can raise up apostles. If you want to, if you want to have a stronger prophetic ministry, you have to have a prophet to raise up prophets. You want to have a stronger teaching ministry, you need to have a teacher who can raise up teachers. If you want to be more effective at evangelism, then you need to have an evangelist who can raise up evangelists. Tracking with that? Do you see? So we're strong in pastoral care. Why? We got a pastor. We're pretty strong. We do have a we do have a growing good good prophetic ministry. Well, great, because if you look at your elders, Carlos and Bud, great guys, but their strengths are pastoral care and prophecy, right? Where are the apostles? Where is the evangelist? You follow me? Okay, I hope I'm being clear. I'm totally off script at this point, but I'm just, you know, trying to drive this home here. So friends, the conclusion here is this. I'm asking you to pray with me for, for, for us to, that we would be able to acknowledge and see what Jesus Christ is doing. And that we, I, I that, that the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher would be recognized among us. And I'll say one more personal thing and then I think that's this. I don't, yes, I have the spiritual gift of pastor, but I don't believe that I'm supposed to walk in the office of pastor. You hired me as a pastor. I do pastoring. I love pastoring. I really believe that the office of the Lord has planted in 
myself off. And there's days that I'm really tired and tired. And not free, if you will, operate in the office and say, the Lord gave me so much life. You've heard me say it before. I know that God, I know it. I know that God is asking me to begin the first Christian vocational school in the United States of America. I know that. I don't know how to do it or when to do it, but I know that I have to do that. I know that God sent us to Kenya last year because there's orphans there and they have to be cared for. I know that. In the same way that 16 years ago when I came back from Nicaragua, I knew we had to start, we had to partner with them. We had to begin it. I mean, if you guys were there, you remember. It was pretty clear. Came back from Nicaragua, was like, okay, folks, we got to get behind this. And glory to God, people in New River at that point really got behind it. And Harless took up the mantle and ran with that thing. Now there's 143 kids in a Christian school in Managua that weren't there 16 years ago, you know? Just saying that things I see that I know God wants to do, and I don't know any other way to get them done unless God were to give a team. So we need a prophet, we need a pastor, we need an evangelist, we need a teacher to join the team. And I, I urge you to pray with me that, that God would raise up the team. Are you with me? Okay. And you do understand that when the team is raised, that's to your benefit and your advantage. It really is. You will become, look at it, mature. You want to go through the list? All those great things, that's you. If this team gets put in place. Oh, Lord, that's my prayer. God, I pray. You know it. Or, so now, Lord, my prayer is public. It's been somewhat of a private prayer for 10 years for me, but so now it's public. I ask you, God, to raise up. No, 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 Lord, no, not raise up. I'm sorry, Lord. You've already given us plenty. Lord, I'm not asking you to do something that's all other already done it. I'm just asking Jesus that you please give us and reveal to us, Lord, reveal to us, Lord, who these ones are. Yes, Lord. Reveal to us. I thank you, Jesus, because you didn't leave the church empty-handed. You gave her gifts. And she has everything. Church has everything she needs for life and godliness. Thank you.